a little bit of filler in a blood vessel. That's basically a vascular occlusion, isn't it? Well, perhaps, but there's maybe a lot more to it. Recently, I've seen a number of vascular occlusions and these have spurred some interesting discussions on what it is that's actually going on underneath the skin. So I thought we'd do a recap on the different mechanisms by which vascular injury can actually cause necrosis. And that's what we're tackling on this week's Aesthetics Mastery Show. Welcome, I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Hi, I'm Miranda Pierce. Let's dive in. So we've got different theories you're saying about what's going on under the skin if we have a VO. Before I answer that, don't forget to give this video a like if you're ready to learn something today. So let's dive in. Um, the first thing to think about is, uh, yes, of course, the fundamental is blocked blood vessel, not getting oxygen to the tissues. But you can break this down in many different kind of versions of that same event. So the most simple of all would be a point occlusion. So if you imagine the facial artery, and you inject 0.1 mils of filler in it or 0.05, small amount that blocks just one section, not in a point where it's connected with any other vessels, what would that actually do to the skin? And it's in that imagining of how does that actually play out that you start to see how these things would present differently and perhaps how the treatment will be different. So in that particular occasion, if you talk to many plastic surgeons, they will tell you that they quite often will ligate vessels. I remember talking to a nose surgeon who told me that they ligate the columella artery, completely tie it off, and then don't untie it in all surgeries. And the, the nose does not necrose. The nose does not necrose. The nose does not necrose. And that tells you a lot about how the vascular system really works, which is, it's not as simple as, uh, you know, if you picture a tree, it's not like tying, shutting off the supply of one branch to the nutrients from the roots. Um, those, the, the connections are actually more complicated than that. So although they separate at the trunk level, they actually then rejoin higher up and the capillaries are all connected and they're all the capillary units, which are the, the subunits, the arteriosomes of the skin, are also connected via little vessels that sometimes can open and sometimes can close depending on the situation that they're in. Uh, and all of this makes everything a lot more complex to try and understand. Uh, but most of it is good because there are defense mechanisms against occlusions which will hopefully keep some of the skin alive and, uh, and that actually makes things a bit easier for us. So most important, I think, with the if you think of that point occlusion, which I started out with, is that most of the connections in the face, most of the arteries will be connected with the other arteries through some mechanism. They're just, uh, I guess, obviously, the further and further away, the, the more the more difficult it is for for that for the blood to flow. But you do get anastomoses, and you do get connections that allow some oxygen to reach tissues, even though you may have blocked some of a uh, of an artery. So, what are the other versions of occlusion? Uh, well, let's br branch out from that initial version. So the, the point occlusion, if you just imagine injecting more into that same space, what's going to happen is you're going to continuously occlude more and more of that vessel and then some of the tributaries coming off it. So you could maybe use the example of the superior label artery becoming occluded and then branching off into the columella artery. So you get blockage of all those vessels but it's also the little tiny vessels branching off from those named arteries that become occluded uh, and that that is instantly more comprehensive because there's no way for it to get around it's not a point it's a whole section that gets blocked off and there will be some support but probably not enough support in most cases for that tissue to be alive so you blocked off a significant artery with all the branches from that artery and that is a much more 
um, comprehensive blockade of the important oxygen uh, not being able to get through. So in this second version of the VO, which is more comprehensive, what, how do we know? What would we see? So these are the more common ones that you see where you can actually see the anatomy underneath. So it may start with a small area of discoloration and then you see it develop over time. So, you know, the, the big ones are you can actually see the path of the facial artery. Sometimes it goes all the way up into the supertrochlear artery. So you see that whole network of blood vessels all occluded on just one side. Um, and these tend to therefore go with larger injections. So they tend to be bolus injections. Sometimes it's a cannula that stayed in one place for a while. Um, but they're certainly higher volume um, because there's more product in the vessel and it's flowing out more. I think probably with the previous version, if you get a little bit of product into a vessel, you don't always even see the occlusion. And maybe those are the ones that are responsible for the emboli that come later when that little point occlusion of filler moves its way into a more end artery type structure. Um, and then you get a patch that develops later on. I think it's much rarer, but th those are the two, the two different ways it'll play out. Um, so much larger volumes, and, th and that is why you see um, it affects so much more of an area and be more comprehensive. So it's, I don't think you could possibly achieve that with a tiny amount. What's the next type of occlusion? So I've considered the step up in complexity being that if you had the similar sort of named vessel occlusion with obvious connections that we all know about, um, there's a step in c complexity beyond that where, you're, where the anastomoses are confusing things. So, you know, it's the, the classic example might be, you know, is it the infraorbital artery that's occluded or the facial artery or the superior labial artery because there seems to be an occlusion everywhere. Now, that could be anatomy that's different, but perhaps there are occasions when the anastomoses confuse us. Um, I know some of the cases of blindness are thought to have been occurred because of the superior, superficial temple artery having connections to the supertrochlear artery. And those anastomoses, uh, even though injecting the temple and theoretically that's mainly the scalp, um, there is this anastomosis that, confu that confuses things. What, what is an anastomosis? It's simply a connection between two branches, two major branches of vessel. So right. supertrochlear artery... If you look at a simple textbook, it just supplies the forehead, but um, the and the and then lateral to that, you'd see the superficial temple artery. But they're, they're not necessarily connected; they're often drawn separate. But in reality, there are connections between them that are open all the time, continuously patent. And if you inject saline into cadavers, which is one study that I've seen, you will see that the saline effectively comes out of the periorbital region. So it, it's it's connected to that. Um, that internal carotid blood supply via the connections. So once that, that sometimes makes a more complex presentation if you've occluded those vessels and some of the connections to it. I'm thinking, I'm kind of thinking, God, like there's so many different ways you can go wrong. And I'm immediately thinking, how can we, how can we just, as soon as we think we might have an occlusion and we feel sure enough to try and reverse it with Hyalase, are we just going for it and trying to flood it, the area as much as possible? Or are you thinking that actually we might need to kind of go higher up and, and try and reverse? You definitely need to take your time in an occlusion to map out the area according to what you can see and then ask yourself the question, what would the anatomy tell me could be next? So that you're thinking about the deeper vessels. And we saw that interesting case with a very clear occlusion in the chin, but later on emerged to be affecting the neck as well. Um, and th th this is the kind of thing, I think it's the next example we're going to talk about, which is the, the most complex version where, you're, you, where you need to know your anatomy, but you need to have your clinical skills up to date as well. So you need to be studying both what you see and what you know and, and ruling out 
all the different versions that could that could happen and of course using the newer techniques that people have got for actually isolating where the occlusion is so ultrasound i think is going to be very important in the next few years i think it'll become more and more common that we use ultrasound to be more specific with where those occlusions actually are so tell us about this fourth version of vo so i'm trying to picture the situation where potentially you've had a patient being rescued for a time so they're they're being having lots of hyalase injected and lots of massages and are you kind of fragmenting that filler now i know when i did that experiment with filler recently it didn't the filler i used did not dissolve instantly i didn't inject hyalase and see it all turned to gel it was it became more fragmented and you know as you're mixing it which would be similar to a massage it can break up into different sections and you start to wonder are the there anastomoses or choke vessels that don't close down properly that allow these these um, tiny fragments of filler into near, nearby areas of skin and cause localized necrosis or impending necrosis nearby. Because that's what we saw in this more recent neck and chin occlusion, which is there was an area of normal skin in between the two areas. So it was it was occluded area we knew about, then some normal skin, and then another occluded area. So that's the most complex version I can think of which is that you have the named artery occlusion and maybe a branch of that but then it seems to affect another area which in the textbooks isn't connected uh, and that's the most complex of all and you think that happened because whilst it was being reversed the clinician pushed the filler out i have i have no idea yeah. for sure i'm trying to imagine what could explain that and you know, it's it's one of these many things in medical aesthetics where it's going to be very, very hard to get to the bottom of why the clinical picture looks that way. But it does make sense to me that the vigorous massage is going to disperse product and m hopefully most of that will be good. You know, um, one of the interesting things I came across when I was researching this is that these choke anastomoses, these are vessels that can close down when there's inflammation, um, maybe diverting basically diverting it, preventing occlusions from spreading into nearby arteriosomes and potentially even allowing some of that filler out into the venous system if you keep pushing it through the system. And then perhaps that is a safer place for it to be because that, that vessel may become patent again. And filler that gets into the venous system is relatively safe. You know, it basically goes into, into the lungs and probably gets stuck there but doesn't cause any clinical symptoms. What does patent mean in this context? Just open. An open vessel is patent. So what are these choke vessels? So this is a concept that comes from plastic surgery. And the choke vessels are little connections between neighboring angi angiosomes. So the angiosome you can think of as it's almost like a little tree of blood vessels that supplies a patch of skin. But in neighboring patches of skin, unlike trees, there's actually a connection. So some, there's some, some smaller branches that would almost connect the two neighboring trees if we stick with the tree analogy. Now, if there is an injury to one of those blood vessels or the blood supply is not quite enough, angi the angiosome that's nearby can be supplied by these choke vessels, which respond to the shift in pressures. So norm normally the pressure is fairly neutral between neighboring arteriosomes, angi angiosomes, and the as one drops off the, the mechanical forces can cause that angio that choke vessel to become bigger to hypertrophy and allow more blood blood flow through so it's, it's almost certainly an important part of the healing process if you do have a vascular occlusion but there may be some supply in some cases um if it's not entirely closed off already so i'm not quite sure and i'd be interested to see what the data is of this on how how patent those vessels are how big they actually are they're not seen in the same way as the normal anastomoses though i think they are smaller i think the benefit of them is to isolate injury and certainly the 
presence of noxious substances into one angiosoma at a time so that it just doesn't spread freely. So it's the way of the body controlling spread and then also having a backup if you do get an injury to one angiosome, the neighbouring one might be able to support. So it's not so it's it's both the messenger between the trees and the blocker between the trees. Yeah, from what I've seen it can, it can be both. As particularly if it's irritated. So if you if you inject an inflammatory filler, one of the theories I've read about is that that can cause that to spasm and it can decrease blood flow across the angiosome. But similarly, if you've got a blockage and the mechanical force of the blood pressure then goes up because it's trying to get through that space, within the first few hours, 48 hours or so, it can actually start to hypertrophy and get bigger and allow more blood flow through. So it's almost like a control valve to allow more blood flow in when appropriate, but also to cut off uh, blood supply if not appropriate. If... What's the fifth type of VO? So there is this theory that you could cause necrosis with a venous emboli or a venous occlusion um, and that's definitely true in some parts of the of the body so we know that from retinal vein occlusions and uh, that's something that happens unfortunately in medicine people get an occlusion in their retinal vein and they go blind because the blood can't leave the eye. That's that's quite different to probably how most of the skin is though because those are end arteries and end uh, veins so they haven't got as you can imagine the shape of your eye it's quite an isolated structure hasn't got lots of different ways you can get blood in and out of it um, and I think the skin is broadly speaking different to that so my suspicion is it's much harder to cause a necrotic injury with a with a, a venous embolism uh, or a venous injection although many clinicians will say that they've seen one I have well I wouldn't say many but I've certainly met a few and I don't know for sure I, th I think it's possible and we also we don't know for sure whether that would cause necrosis or just cause what I think would be more likely would, would be similar to what you might see in a DVT but on a on a bigger scale now I know DVTs can cause necrosis but that's very rare mostly what happens if you have a big blockage in your leg is your leg swells it gets more edematous it gets warmer to touch um, it accumulates fluid uh, and, and that's probably what I'd expect to see if you included a vein, which would be puffiness, a discoloration, uh, discomfort, inflammation, but not, uh, I think, true necrosis would be harder to achieve. I think it's possible. And of course, the other big benefit you have with veins is if you do massage them, like we said earlier, there's a bit more chance you could massage it into a larger vein and then eventually massage it out into the, into the systemic circulation where it won't cause a blockage. What's the sixth type of fear? So the sixth type is something I've been interested in for many years, actually, which is not so much an intravascular injection, but pressure from the filler compressing the blood vessels from the outside, and in particular, the capillaries. So I suspect this is um, quite likely, and I've, I'm pretty sure I've seen some cases now looking at them, where the pressure of the filler is enough that you can compress the capillary vessels and not allow blood, blood flow through. And uh, I think it happens in areas where the skin is tight and where you're relying pr predominantly on capillary blood flow. So the tip of the nose is the one that's got me thinking about this recently. I've seen a couple of cases and you will see this if you inject the tip of the nose, you get a red nose that sometimes doesn't settle for a long time. I believe that's the capillaries compensating for this pressure. It's basically a stage one pressure sore. And uh, I think if they are big enough and left long enough that that can cause necrosis. So if you saw a red tip of the nose, do you just reverse it like you would for a normal VO? So, I mean, it depends a lot on the individual situation because uh, it's normal for your nose to be red after you've just had an injection mm. in it. So th this is where it gets complex is that you should ex anticipate your clients will have red noses after they've had an injection. But how long sh should that go on for? Um, I certainly get uncomfortable 
beyond 48 hours, I'm starting to, to worry. And I'm, I'm assuming you've done capillary refill tests all the way through your procedure. I normally check capillary refill almost every injection if I'm doing non-surgical rhinoplasty. And uh, and then on discharge, you'd, you'd know for sure. Um, so that will give you some reassurance that it's not a, not a, you know, a, a normal VO where your capillary refill will decrease. Um, but also you've got other things that cause red noses. So um, normal post-inflammatory procedure we discussed, but also infections potentially, um, reactions also. So you, it's, um, but I think a red nose is probably a capillary pressure until proven otherwise, especially beyond 48 hours and especially if there's pain. So I don't mind a bit of discomfort after a procedure. You know, if you touch someone and push on them and it's tender, that's normal after an injection. But I wouldn't say it's normal to have an aching nose. Anyone like that, it'd be much safer to get them back and check them again. And you, with experience, you can usually quite quickly see who's gone beyond what a normal red nose after injection is. And then, yeah, if in doubt, get it out. So are you saying that, so let's say they present with a red nose, we've got the 48-hour rule. Are you saying that you would get normal capillary refill? Well, interestingly, the first stage of the pressure sore has um, no blanching at all. So, or second stage, I think it is. So if you actually te- test a true pressure sore, like a um, decubitus ulcer is the other name for it, you will see normal, basically normal or, or instant capillary refill. So, but that is still a necrotic injury brewing, mm. but it's a different version of that injury. So um, you can't rely on capillary refill for this particular issue to be, to, to protect you from the issue. Yeah. So it's the redness and the pain that are more important than than capillary refill in this case and it would show that compression yeah and we're going to do a whole show on this uh probably next week when you see this um but i also think anywhere where you've got tight tissue is a risk for this so i I think i've seen one in a chin uh, and labella as well and we'll talk more about that in detail but uh, it seems to be on the midline if you think about the other parts of your face if you're injecting a cheek there's a lot more room Mm. there you'd have to really be going some to to compress the capillary bed through injecting a cheek i don't think it's really likely to be possible but in those midline structures seems to be more likely what's the seventh type of vo slightly freaking out now with all these vo's (laughs) well this these are more just ideas that i see floating around that are worth thinking about so this really rela- goes back to what we we're talking about with those choke vessels. So in theory, those vessels have the special ability, although all vessels, are, as far as I'm aware, they can constrict their lumen, particularly arterials, with if they need to. But these choke vessels seem to have a greater ability to isolate um, one angiosome from noxious, symptom- noxious substances that might be in a neighboring angiosome. And the theory being that those inflammatory hyaluronic acids, which tend to be the shorter chain hyaluronic acids, could stimulate them to lock down and maybe that would be partly why you see a delay in capillary refill um, nearby so you've got a little bit of filler in and those vessels are constricting i don't really think that should be a major issue because they aren't supposed to be responsible for the main the main part of the blood flow to the skin so that spasm on its own i don't think you'd notice i think you might notice filler blocking an angiosome but the spasm its own, it doesn't really resonate well with me. But I, I've seen that suggested as a reason why you might get delayed capillary refill, which is worth thinking about. You know, there's a lot to learn on these topics. And the final one. So the, the next one is, is kind of disheartening, which is if you unblock a, bl- a blood vessel, you can actually cause necrosis. So this is the reperfusion injury problem. And the, the issue with it is that you've got this, this system that's shut down because you're not getting oxygen to that to that area and it happens this is mainly from heart attacks we know a lot from reperfusion injury after myocardial infarction 
that as soon as you unblock the vessel, the patient sometimes gets an arrhythmia and gets worse. And it's it's due to this this buildup of free radicals in particular. It's actually four different stages, but broadly speaking, free radicals are the one I think is most important. That oxygen, as it re-enters the cell, has these really reactive species, and the the uh, basically a, a single electron oxygen will just stick on anything and destroy it. So it destroys enzymes and cell membranes. And as that oxygen comes rushing in, it actually just makes the cell machinery more injured than it was before. So you get this unfortunate worsening of the situation. Now, the the, the thing with um, with skin is I don't think we know as much about exactly when that's likely to happen. Uh, like in hearts, I think it's you know it's it's better mapped out basically because you've got less time. So it's you know at what point are you likely to cause a reperfusion injury versus uh, get it out just in time? I, I, that's something I'd like to learn more about. Like when when would you expect things to get worse? But that is the final slightly sad part of uh, of injuries is that as you've finally got it working again, it can get a bit worse before it gets better. So what are you supposed to do? Uh, there isn't anything you can do about that, but it's probably still better to have it patent so that that skin. Um, can at least heal with a better blood supply. Okay. And just going back for people watching this thinking, what can I do about all these different types of VO? Obviously, we are reversing, we're trying to reverse, but just go back to this idea that the, the, the recent case where someone had a VO on the chin and then it presented, was it further down the neck? In that case, obviously, trying to um, reverse this, and then when that presented, trying to reverse this, is there something about mapping and thinking, well, if I do, if I, if there's been a problem here, then it might go and almost like preempting it or? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the first step, I think people, you can get very much into tunnel vision mode and just see the initial presenting problem. Um, so, and that's fine actually, because it's not going to change things in the first few minutes. So I would go through the process of starting the rescue pro procedure, but most people with a significant VO, you're going to have plenty of time in between the rounds of highlights to think and you should use that time and in fact i'd make a mental note now that if you're ever dealing with a vascular occlusion once you've got your first round in stop and think how could this be worse than i already think it is <laughs> because that's ultimately what you'd like to be ahead of so where are these vessels connected what are the internal connections where else do i need to check um, what are the potential, you know, anastomoses? Where, you know, where are these blood vessels nearby? And start to check everywhere. And the more thoroughly you can do that, the sooner you'll pick up the other problems. The sooner you get highlays in the right places, and the better the situation, hopefully, for everyone concerned. So you wouldn't, you would think ahead, but you wouldn't just start randomly reversing higher up the the artery tree, just as a preventative med measure no I, I think you need a clinical indication yeah. to inject so i would i would be looking for some reason to inject there for everywhere that i injected um because also hyaluron days is precious stuff you know especially if you're going to use 24 vials like we've seen recently um you don't want to be putting it in the wrong place so i'm interested to hear from you guys have you ever seen a vascular occlusion that just didn't look that simple something complicated about it something has surprised you we'd love to hear in the comments also, if you want a free download on the most dangerous areas to inject uh, to help you become a safer injector, there is a free download in the description of this YouTube show. And please do like this show and subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to put the notifications on as well so you'll get notified each Thursday when we upload. Yeah.